Hello, everybody. My name is Chuck Cora. Welcome to Ampod Lacha. What you just heard was the new single, Interstate, by West Virginia-based indie rock group Hello June. They've got a new album coming out October 6th, and uh, you all should check them out. They're really good. We love them. I'll put the links in the show notes so you can find out more about them and support their work and their music. I was thinking about asking our followers a question, and then I did. Yeah. And it's made question for- Question of the week. Made for some great content. These are some good ones. Callie, I asked our Instagram followers what the best story about either them or someone they know getting arrested. And uh, we got some good ones. Uh, Let's trade off these stories. Sounds perfect. You want to start with the first one? Yeah. Um, So let's see. These were were Instagram responses, right? That's where we got these? Yes, to stories. So they're kind of short. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Yeah. All right. A guy I knew from high school got a DUI while riding a horse drunk down a highway. I I love that because you always kind of like hear about people getting DUIs in things other than cars, um, which I'm not endorsing DUIs by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, that is an objectively hilarious story. Yeah, I didn't even know that that could happen, to be completely honest. I, you know, I want to look at the state law now for for DUIs cuz like I don't know what the model penal code says. I bet it's different yeah, state. Yeah, I bet to it state. is. You know what? Yeah. Your your husband's a public defender. We can ask him. Yeah. I'll ask let's him. do it. Well, yeah, I wonder like what is the funniest DUI that he's had to defend? I would love to see him get up in a courtroom and be like, "Your honor, this equine DUI cannot stand." Yeah. This is this is no law. My, you know, you know the gif of the cat who's just like very dramatic, yes. and yeah, that's what it means. I always imagine Danny as an attorney doing like gestures like that cat. I mean, we could make that happen with Photoshop. Oh, that would be amazing. This, this next one, right, I think, is like open to interpret. Well, it's not really open to interpretation, but it is funny. Um, my neighbor got arrested for trespassing on private property because he got super high and decided to play paintball with people only he could see in my other neighbor's field at 4 a.m. <laughs> so, That's I guess, awesome. was, was he just like running around shooting at things he thought was there? That's the, that's the vibe I'm getting. I love this. That is, um, I love that so much. I, I love paintball. Um I think the time of day that this happened makes it even funnier. 4 a.m. Because it's not even, that's not even no. late night, my man. That is early morning. Someone. <laughs> and just to be high playing paintball at 4 a.m., it would be funnier also if it was like on a Tuesday. I mean, that guy probably needs to get help if he's high at 4 a.m. But Either that or, or he. We're laughing. He, we're here he to laugh. edible and got like cryptically high and decided to to take care of the demons in the only way he knew how which respect um 
I would love to hear from the neighbor, though, because that would be genuinely terrifying to see witness that happening at 4 a.m. Yeah. For some reason, I'm also imagining him like bare ass naked. I don't know why, because that's not in there, I'm realizing. But it would it does make the whole scene more. I think that's a fair inference to draw. So we're going to say it. (laughs) But I do feel it's it's like a kind of an important thing to not put in the story. So I bet it didn't happen. But in my mind, he's just like completely nude wearing tennis shoes and holding a like a uh, paintball five drawing from my paintball knowledge. It's also just funny the context of playing paintball naked because that would be so painful. Yeah, it would not be fun, but. If you're super high, you know, maybe it, it levels out. It probably does. Uh, this next one, um, yeah, you will maybe relate to now living in West Virginia, but this is definitely a believable story. Yeah. So this one is, I had a friend arrested for burning a couch in Morgantown after WVU won the Big East. That thousands of people would, uh, I mean, my gosh, I always said the best uh, business venture would be to open a used furniture store in Morgantown because of all the burned couches and other articles. So yeah, no, this one is this one is perfect because I just feel like this would be the fastest ever GoFundMe oh, bail bonds ever. I was just getting ready to say it. We would crowdfund for for that bail one hundred percent. Yeah, it would be it would be done in five minutes. So yeah. This next one is, it, it took a turn that I was not expecting. Um, lots of these are DUIs, which is, you know, not endorsing DUIs, but they at least lead to interesting stories. After DUI, I had to share a cell with a, quote, lady of the night that unapologetically passed gas all night. It's a fair um, punishment. <laughs> so I like, the best part about this is unapologetically. Because you have yeah. a person who, you know, is working their profession, apparently, presumably got caught doing it, um, yeah. and uh, just started to rip ass and not care about it. <laughs> and I respect that, because that's somebody who has confidence. Yeah, it's also somebody who has very natural defenses. Natural defense. <laughs> <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> yeah. It's like a human octopus or, uh, you know, I guess a skunk would have been a better, a better parallel. But yeah, yeah. I, I just I feel like that's also a reason to have respect for that person, because that is that is a defensive capability that if it were a Pokemon game. That would be one of the things. I've been playing a lot of N64 Pokemon, by the way, nice. which is why where that reference came from. Which one? Um, the it's the battle one. Stadium. The one it's uh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. It's a really good one. So, but I'm saying if if she were a Pokemon, that would be one of the choices of attack that you would have in Pokemon Stadium. Yeah, I would take this woman and put her in like my starting five or whatever, uh, because yeah. you have to have a good defensive win. And you know, arguably, I, I like her profession should not be illegal. I. The person that earned the oh, DUI 100%. should absolutely be in there, but the person who's just trying to make a living that porn stars make on the reg, uh, just for doing it in front of a camera, you know, I mean, I'm just saying that 
that person's not in the wrong. Yep. All so. right. Our next one here is, <laughs> this is a funny one. does a f- <laughs> okay. Our next one is does a four way juvie arrest on prom night in a Holiday Inn on Zorn Avenue back in 1986 fit the bill? Gosh, I just want to know the story behind this one. I don't know because the use the f- of the word four way. Yes. <laughs> That is okay. Let's just, breaking this down. Four way juvie arrest. Four way on prom night at the Holiday Inn. My guess is that there was like a little hanky panky going on, and literal four way potentially. I chose to interpret it as it was four juveniles that got arrested, um, just because I preferred not to think about the other. But well, yeah, but it's at a Holiday Inn on prom night. I know. I mean, the details are very damning. Mm-hmm. So defend that, Chuck. Uh, I that's why I'm not a public defender. You know, that's Danny's <laughs> job, man. I would say that does fit the bill for these stories, though. Yeah. And uh, this one, a very Appalachian arrest, uh, definitely fits the bill. One of my favorites: arrested in a Taco Bell drive-through on Halloween while dressed as a soggy bottom boy. Yeah! I knew you'd like that. I watched that movie last week. (laughs) Oh, brother, where art thou? And the answer to that is in the Taco Bell drive-thru. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. I, I, that one, okay, this one's my favorite one so far. Our next one, because I also, I had that, I had that costume. Like we made oh, those 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 big beer. Everybody in Appalachia had that costume. I, I would just say on this, the problem with these Instagram responses is that you have a limited number of characters, and so we don't get to like learn why they were arrested in the Taco Bell drive-through. And I truly would love to know. You know, if we're following the storyline of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> they, which we are. <laughs> All my sins been washed away, including that Piggly Wiggly that I knocked over. <laughs> so we're counting it as a Piggly well, Wiggly. Yeah, and nothing, no sin is too too great to not be washed away by a meal from Taco That's Bell. That's right. That's right. That's all I have to say. Okay, the next one is, one of my uncles was arrested for moonshining and taken to the local jail. My dad and others broke him out of jail and took the jailhouse doors with them when they left. Now that is some Appalachian anti-cop good old boy shit right there. That's family values. That's what I say family values are. Also, I'd like to believe that this is a continuation of the Taco Bell story, that their uncle was arrested in the Taco Bell drive-thru on Halloween moonshining. Ooh. Selling it. Halloween is a big, it's a big night for moonshine. I mean. I also, I love that the, you know, this is like. Baja Blast is moonshine. Yes. This is, this is what people, this is what people want when they raise their families. You know, when I think if I was that mother, I would be like, well, hell yeah, your brothers had to get you out somehow. I don't know. I just feel like I would be proud. Yeah, I mean, again, a, a, a an activity that shouldn't be illegal. 
If we're fighting yeah. for what's right, then uh, then they did what was right. And yeah. Similar to the next story, which is cousin Arlo Turtle Stew was accused of having rat meat. It didn't. He fought for his honor. No explanation needed. So he got arrested for fighting about turtle stew? Yeah. That's just top tier right there. I think that further further legitimizes Cousin Arlo's turtle stew. Yeah. If you're willing to, to go to jail <laughs> to defend it, then it's probably pretty goddamn good. Oh, what would you go to jail for? Turtle fucking stew. <laughs> Defending the honor of turtle stew. Your honor, throw this case out. This man is innocent. Um, I love that. I love it so much. Cousin Arlo. Wow. Um, this next one is a great one. My pap got arrested in Missouri during a coal rally for UMWA. Sounds Hell like yeah. a good old boy to me. That is an abs- that's a great old boy. Tell your pap, whoever it was that sent that in, that we're proud of him, if he's still around. And then the last one, which... It- it, one of my favorites. My brother had a warrant for his arrest. Let me restart. My brother had a warrant and pissed off Nana at Thanksgiving dinner, so she called the cops and they came and got him. Goddamn right. That is cold as hell. That's why you don't piss off mammals, man. Like You really don't. Especially she- during Thanksgiving. Yeah, oi. Yeah. If and and if you yeah, if you're at Nana's house on Thanksgiving and you piss her off bad enough to get her to call in your warrant. Mm. Cuz let, let's be honest. That that guy that guy did some shit. Absolutely. And let's be honest, she she probably is the one that cooked it too. So that's really I'm assuming there was blatant disrespect at the dinner table. Yeah. That would be I would I would wager that guess as well. Uh these are good. These were good. Well, thank you all for submitting them. We'll come up with another question next week. We'll send it out to you, and you all will respond, I'm sure. So thank you. And we have a a uh, fun ad read where you wrote it for me, and I have not seen it yet, so don't don't press skip, guys, because uh, this is a new one for me. All right, I am gonna I'm gonna. So we're doing we're doing this thing where I write the ad or Chuck writes the ad and we black it out on the screen. It's like all redacted right now. Um, And then once you uh, once once we're recording, we have the other person read it. So Chuck is not I haven't seen it till now. Here we go. This is for Red Rooster Coffee. I'm going to I'm going straight into this one, Callie. Remember when we were talking about the Discovery Channel show Naked and Afraid? Yeah, I love that show. Well, it inspired me to start my own survivalist journey and try to get on the show. And last week I was in my in-laws backyard in Florida working on my application tape. Butt naked, nothing on me but a water pot and a dull knife jingling around a fray, frayed rope around my hips. I'm jumping on logs, kneecaps banging around. Kristen is filming me, of course, giving me a thumbs up every time I eat a grub. It's all going great. When suddenly, I find a beehive. And let me tell you, I full-on fist this beehive on the spot, as I am wont to do. I do not stop to think about it. I just went whole hog. Not with my hog. Anyway, I got stung 38 times and was in the hospital for three days. But you know what I did with the honey that I pulled out? 
I put it in my Red Rooster coffee. I bet you were wondering how this would turn out. I was wondering how the, I was wondering <laughs> what journey we were going on right now. This time around, I brewed myself a cup using their steeped coffee bags, which I have used, and they are amazing. And they're basically just like tea bags. Yeah, I actually mistook them for tea when I used them for the first time. Uh, it's amazing, and it's stupid that no one else does this. Like, I, it's absurd. Why aren't they doing it? It's it's brilliant. It's genius. They're really fun, and would also make a great gift for anyone who likes a luxurious cup of joe every now and again, and you don't have to punch a beehive to do it. You can actually just buy honey at your local grocery store. Um, if you prefer the boring way. And Red Rooster will give you free shipping using our code DOLLY, D-O-L-L-Y. Again, use our code DOLLY, D-O-L-L-Y, for free shipping on unlimited orders at Red Rooster Coffee. A great coffee roaster out of Floyd, Virginia. Boom. That was beautiful, Callie. That was fantastic. <laughs> I was... You took us on a journey there. I didn't know where we were going, but I, I'm happy with it. Yep. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun writing that one because I was trying to think of something different. <laughs> that was different. I'm proud of you. And then I just wanted good. to throw I wanted to throw in that one line that I knew would catch you. <laughs> fisting a beehive. <laughs> I'm out here fisting beehives for y'all. I like that. I might have to incorporate yep. that into some merch sometime. Yep. Go fist yourself a beehive, folks, and get some Red Rooster coffee. All right. Sorry, that was, it just it doesn't stop being funny. No need to apologize. It was beautiful. Uh, Patreon.com slash AppPodLatch. You can go there uh, for a little, as little as a dollar a month. I'm going to be posting about our upcoming live show soon. Um, in fact, offline we'll confer on the dates because I totally forgot to do that. Uh, and uh, you can go there, support us because that's how we fund this operation we call a podcast. And if you join, Callie will write you a limerick. That's right. And this past week, I, I posted about a new Appalachian children's book. So that's an ongoing series as well. Um, and this week, we have Samantha, a new Patreon uh, subscriber. And here we go. Hold one up for Samantha. She's the winning brain when you need an answer. She's the newest on our Patreon, and aren't we glad she hopped along? Welcome, friend. Now let's do a little dancer. Samantha is a tough name to rhyme. So it's so I'm hard. Impressed. And I the next ones are also hard, so I'm I'm taking them slow. We only had that one this week. We're working through them, folks. Thank you. Well, that was good. Yes, to so join, we'll you'll get your custom limerick, you'll get some exclusives, you'll get access to our live shows where we do drunk history and other things. So check it out, patreon.com slash and uh, let's get into our interview. Callie, you yeah. were available for this, and I was not, unfortunately. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I was able to talk to Tony Young, who is uh, the executive director and founder of Community Education Group. They are a health nonprofit that works in the region. They've distributed over a million condoms throughout the region. They have uh, they have provided 50,000 plus HIV rapid tests. They focus a lot on um, on uh, illnesses like HIV, AIDS and um, other uh, or illnesses like that, like hep C and things like that. Um, they uh, have distributed over 10,000 syringes, clean syringes. Um, and so they, they're doing really great work uh, that has to do with the syndemic, which we'll go into in the interview. Um, and it was great to be able to talk to Tony and we're excited for you guys to be able to hear this. 
Absolutely. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Tony. Um, I am so excited to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, I am personally a big fan of your work, and so I'm I'm always excited to share it with other people. So um, we like to start these conversations um, with kind of grounding the episode in Appalachia. And so can you first introduce yourself with a little bit of an emphasis on your connection to Appalachia? Hey, everybody. My name's A. Period, Tony Tionai, Young, Y-O-U-N-G, and I'm the founder and executive director of Community Education Group. And, uh, you know, my connection to Appalachia is that um, a little over a decade ago, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to a little town in Hardy County called Lost River. I was actually looking for a house in Berkeley Springs, and uh, he said, no, 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 no. Hardy County, Lost River is where you want to be. And so actually the house that I have now is actually the first house I looked at. Of course, I looked at 17 others, uh, but I ended up on in this house. And, I, you know, I have a, you know, I think, a, a, you know, I'm a kid born and raised in Southeast D.C. And so I never knew or never thought or never fathomed that 13 acres in, you know, next to the George Washington National Forest would be home and would immediately feel like home and that the people would feel like home and that the community would feel like home and that the region would feel like home. Uh, but it did and it was and it is. That's amazing. I um I love it when people feel that way when they come to Appalachia. I and I I love it when people make it their home here. I think that that's something that is so, it's so underappreciated. Or all of the amazing transplants who come here and make Appalachia their home. And now you lead an organization and you founded it um, called Community Education Group, and you are focused on the issue of HIV and AIDS. What? No, we're not. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you. We're not. You know, what we're focused on is that we're focused on what I like to call the syndemic. And, you know, the syndemic is HIV hepatitis C and substance use disorder. You know, I, if you'll give me a minute, I like to always use this analogy. And what I, what I talk about when I talk about our work in Appalachia, that there's a train that's running through Appalachia. The engine of that train used to be the, the pill mills that people remember. And now it's poly drug use, injection drug use, methamphetamine drug use, injection drug use. That's driving that, the engine of that train. But next is hepatitis C, hepatitis B, hepatitis D, hepatitis A. And then we've got economic development challenges, workforce development challenges, educational attainment challenges with the the caboose of that car, if you will, being HIV and AIDS. But if you think about that train in each one of those cars I mentioned, if you think of them being laden down with the weight of coal, I mean, the environmental impact of coal, the economic impact of coal, the psychological impact of coal, on all of our communities in this region, we understand why it is that we as an organization and you as a community have to be a boulder in the track to stop that train. All of those things are places and spaces where 
they don't usually talk to each other. The substance use people don't really talk to the HIV people. The HIV people are not necessarily talking to the economic development people. And what we're saying in our work is that this syndemic, HIV, Hep C, and substance use disorder, they're linked. They're tied together. And what we've got to do is get all of you that are working in these different silos together in order to stop it. That's the way it's impacting our communities, our families, our homes, our hollers. This is who this is. This is us. This isn't somebody else. This is us. Sorry. I, I go off onto a tangent about it. No, that's wonderful. I, I mean, and that answers a little bit of the, the question of why here and and why why does Appalachia need this syndemic addressed so desperately? Like, wh- why is now the time? Right. A syndemic, a syndemic, what we call a syndemic approach is critically important for a couple of reasons about uh, the. Re- so on the very porch that I'm sitting on now, about almost uh, I think it was probably. 2016, 2017, somewhere about then, a woman named Karina Dan, who used to work at the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, sent me an email. And in that email was a report from the Centers uh, for Disease Control and Prevention on the 220 most vulnerable counties in the United States of America, looking at hepatitis C and opioid deaths and looking at opioid overdoses as well. It had a whole bunch of information in there. But what I'm going to tell you is the first part of it what, that shocked me was that 28 of West Virginia's 55 counties was on that list. And I tried to figure out, well, what are we going to do? She said, there's no resources for it. There's nobody working on it. And I don't see this getting better, only worse. The next thing that happened was that there was an article that was in the Wall Street Journal that showed a direct cl- connection between injection drug use in this part of the country and the hepatitis C rate. Many people don't know West Virginia and Kentucky are number one and number two in hepatitis C, and nobody knows it. There's an outbreak in H- of HIV and coming in that is here in West Virginia. And what I predicted then that it would be here in five years, and and we're here now. So I think that that's kind of the why a syndemic approach because it's not just one thing. We've got to address them all again because that's what people are dealing with. People are dealing with just one thing. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm curious, you know, it because it's such a multifaceted issue. What is the approach on an issue like this that's so wide and so deep? Right. I think number one is that we, you know, we were having a meeting today with the uh, West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources, and I'm sorry, it's so windy, but it's a windy day. Um, but and one of the things we talked to them about was that there's a there's levels to this. We've got to do more provider education. So primary care providers, MAT providers of what it is and how it is that they can be a part of what we call a continuum of care. And that continuum of care is how do we educate people about HIV, substance use disorder and hepatitis C all the way to the end. You know, many people don't still don't know. We, you can be cured of hepatitis C in 12 weeks, but we've got to get enough providers on board so that they are able to do that. So we have to figure out how to create a continuum that's about workforce development. Do we, we have to talk to businesses about the fact that folks that are on MAT are valuable employees. MAT does not mean a person is still in active use, but they are now in treatment. And that that substance use disorder, whether it's uh, buprenorphine, suboxone, methadone, that these are treatments for substance use disorder. So this is an okay employee. So we've got to get people back to work. We've got to get people back to school. 
we got to get people employment, we got to get people treatment, but we also have to keep people in mind for prevention and education opportunities, which we sometimes think that our solution has to either be one or the other, either an abstinence-based model or a treatment-based model. And the thing is, is that there are people that are somewhere in the middle of that paradigm. We've got to just make sure we keep putting our hands on them, keep educating them, keep talking to them. And when they're ready for treatment, have it available. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these issues there, there are community responses and there are legislative responses. And one of the, the things that has happened most recently in this fight is uh, in Kanawha County uh, in West Virginia, there was um, recently a safe needle exchange site in the West Virginia, uh, the Women's Health Center of West Virginia um, that was voted down. And I'm curious how community education group looks at legislative solutions like that and looks at that defeat. You know, what are the hopes of getting those kinds of legislative solutions in the few in the near future? If, you know, in Kanawha County, it can't happen. Right. You know, the reality of there were two kind of, I think, uh, seminal moments last year and our over the last couple of years in our legislative uh, experience. One is certainly the reduction of the number of uh, safe syringe sites in the state of West Virginia. Uh, I believe that we believe organizationally that we should have needle exchange available as, a, again, a part of that continuum of care. Not the only solution, not the solution, but a solution. And, you know, the other piece of that, though, is the moratorium on methadone clinics. Um, the reality of that is, is that there are nine in our state. Given our crisis, we would think we would have more. But there's a moratorium on them. The reality for me in my personal experience of doing work in the legislature, having our you know senior director of external affairs, Lee, doing policy work on the ground. You know, one of the things is that... <laughs> We forget that legislators are people too. And people are people. And what do I mean by that? People are tired. It doesn't mean if I'm a legislator, right? It doesn't mean that I don't have somebody in my family impacted by this. Doesn't mean I don't know a neighbor impacted by this. Doesn't mean I don't have a constituent that is impacted by substance use disorder or needs help in this realm. But it means I'm tired. The reality is that Many people in this region of the country don't know how to fix it. So we're tired. So they're tired. So they don't want to legislate new needle exchange sites. They don't want to overturn the moratorium. They want to go back old school and say, hey, you know what? When I was a kid, abstinence worked. So everybody's just stopped doing everything. And I think that it's a naive response, the truly naive response. But I think that this is where I said earlier, we have to do more education. We have to do more education of our members as well. What does it mean? What, what do treatments mean? What do, what, what do we mean when we say that you can go to treatment and get this or that or this or that? Um, what, what is inside of the MAT that folks are getting? What is buprenorphine? What is Suboxone? And I think that they think of it just as another drug supplanting another drug. I think they see the buprenorphine or Suboxone is just supplanting heroin or meth. And I'm like, it's not the same thing. It's a blocker. But I don't know that they know that. So 
I think we have to do a heavy education campaign of our members. And I think that folks have to be willing to stand up and fight, particularly right now. when there's almost a billion dollars in play with the opioid settlement dollars. I mean, there's going to be a lot of money flowing through West Virginia for substance use treatment, for HIV, for hep C. Some of that money will go to be used for police reform. Some of that money will go to be used for treatment. But people really need to keep their eye in their local community and asking their local health commissions, hey, where are opioid settlement dollars? Hey, is there a, a, a town hall meeting about what our county is going to do with our opioid settlement dollars? Because that's going to be a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of jobs. It's a lot of treatment opportunity. I don't know. I feel like I can just keep talking and not even let you answer, ask a question. So I'll shut up. No, that's wonderful. I mean, that's that is the kind of um, that's the kind of active citizenship that is required of folks, you know, to be involved in their local communities. And and that go that ties directly into a lot of what people care about in the region right now. And so the the how how does this go hand in hand with what someone could do every day? Like what is is there is there some way that folks could get involved beyond, you know, staying in in track or sorry staying in touch with their uh with their members about about what's going on in their local city councils how else can people get involved in this issue if they you know if they're hearing this for the first time hearing a syndemic um and it's kind of having a light bulb going on what what is it something that people that can do, can do there's a couple of things they can do number one we want everybody who hears this to participate in our we have a, we do a monthly call uh, for the app, what we call our Appalachia Consortium. That has federal partners on it, state partners on it from all over uh, the Appalachia region. We want individual people to come on too. It's, we see it as a learning opportunity. What I try to do is to bring folks on that call that you may not have access to. Maybe it's somebody from HHS. Maybe it's somebody from the local county government. Maybe it's somebody from a national organization. But really where you can keep yourself educated about what's going on. I think the other thing is to really also look around your town and look around your community and see where there's a hole. When I say a hole, I mean, is there a place where, you know, you're like, hey, you know what, there could be a treatment center here. Or, hey, you know what, that park over there is got trash in it. Maybe you organize a local trash pickup. You're like, well, what does trash have to do with this pandemic, you say? Has everything to do with it. Because that way you begin your local organizing, right? You're not organizing around needles or you're not organizing around AIDS or hep C, but you're organizing around cleaning up a park that kids walk by or that people walk by or that people use. And what that means is that when you go back to call on those people again to come to the town council meeting, they'll remember, oh, she or he, they cleaned up the park. So they care about community. And I think that that's the thing we have to do is to, to be in a position to show and to say how we care about community. And that's not just about harm reduction or HIV. It's about, do I care about my community? You know, one of the things that, and I know she'll probably kill me for mentioning this right here, right now, but one of the things that I know that uh, Chairwoman Gail Manchin at the Appalachia Regional Commission really cares about is how do we monetize and make sure that we preserve our parks and open recreation facilities for folks to enjoy, but also so that we can monetize them, as I said, you know, so that we can make a profit from this. And, you know, and that's one of the things I think these same communities can do. 
is like to think about how is it that we get folks to go in and make sure that, uh, you know, everything from the Hatfield-McCoy Trail is clean. You know, take a picture of yourself on the Hatfield-McCoy Trail, picking up a water bottle. You know, how is it? Because these things ultimately will and do turn into jobs. So now we go back to what I was saying earlier. I now have to have a different conversation with the folks that if it's a lemonade stand on the Hatfield-McCoy Trail, say, hey, you know what? There's a person with some lived substance use experience that'll take that job at that rate. But you got to be willing to hire somebody with some lived experience on the Hatfield-McCoy Trail to sell your lemonade. If I don't talk to you about this thing, who who's going to, so you're going to get a teenager who's going to come for the summer, but then gone. So we need to talk about how economic development and this community are linked. And as a, I know it's a very strange way to get there, but I think that that's what I keep trying to explain to people with this train. All of these things are connected for us. Yeah, I mean, that that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and it does, though, it kind of it shows how it, everything starts with community. Um, one of the things shifting gears just a little bit. Um, one of the things that we hear often about the queer community in Appalachia is that we love the region, but the region doesn't always love us back. And you know, this this issue, needle exchanges and and HIV AIDS and, and a lot of these issues um, are are linked with the the queer community's identity. And I w- I'm wondering, what are some of the challenges that you have encountered spearheading an issue that's largely associated with the queer community in a lot of these these towns uh, that may that may not look as kindly? You you will laugh when I say what I said what I'm about to say, and I think you may kill me when I get off of this. But I don't know what you're talking about. It's just not been my experience. Um, and when I say that, that that's not my experience because this isn't the work that we do isn't about being queer. The 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 syndemic here, the rate of Hep C here, HIV here isn't about being queer. It's about people with a substance use disorder problem. So I don't, you know, when, you know, I had somebody once ask me, how do you, meaning me, uh, and so for those of you who don't have a visual and only have audio, I'm African-American, I have a short haircut, and you're like, is she just a strong West Virginia working woman or could she be queer? And, you know, I always say, you know, people see what they want to see when they want to see it. And... I believe that what people see in me and what people see in CEG is what they get, which is a a person and an organization that's fighting tooth and nail for for Appalachia and will do everything I need to do to bring resources home to Appalachia, not just for me, not just for CEG, but for the region as a whole. And I always say, somebody might not want me to marry their son or daughter based on race, gender, or even uh, my sexual orientation. But what they will know about me and what they do know about me is that I fight on behalf of this region with every fiber of my being. So I don't think that my experience is the, is the same in that, in that I think that because I am able to bring 30 years worth of experience working in this space, that's the trade-off, okay? We'll think, well, we're just not gonna talk about what we, think she is or who I sleep with is not relevant here. 
um, who I don't sleep with, Elena, is not relevant here. What is relevant here is whether or not she can bring home the bacon that we need for this region. And I think that is why often I get invited or get into a room or what have you, because that's not why I'm not I'm not there to fight a gay agenda. This is not why I do what I do every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I that is very interesting to me because I, you know, like I. I've been in those spaces. I'm queer myself and I've been in those spaces where people have like offhandedly said that those things are, those are issues that they don't care about because of, and so it's like, it's very heartening to hear that that's not been your experience when it comes to this issue. And so that makes me feel great actually. <laughs> so I think that that's wonderful that people respond so well um, to this mission. So they, how can folks join that call? How can people, uh, la the kind of last pitch, what is the way to get involved with CEG? You can get involved with CEG in any number of ways. You can go to our website, communityeducationgroup.org. Yes, it's long, but I got an ego and I wanted the whole name. They tried to get me to shorten it 500 times and I was like, nope, 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 not doing it. Um, the other thing they can do is they can get our, uh, we have two different newsletters. We have a monthly newsletter that's general information about issues and topics and what we're doing, but also, you know, our director of national and regional policy, Trisha, Trisha Christensen, is do, has done a dashboard for the Appalachia region on what's happening with the opioid settlement dollars. Folks should sign up for that newsletter because they'll have information about hearings and that sort of thing. And you can also access that through our uh, website. The other thing they can do is join uh, our listserv and they'll know when those monthly calls are. Uh, but the most important thing, the most important thing that I would ask anybody listening to this uh, is to, to really think about what it is that they think they should do to help community. What is it that they, they think we should do to be doing more in community and feel free to communicate that to us. You know, one of our missions moving forward is to organize and mobilize MAT providers in the region to provide more HIV and Hep C screening. We think that there is something there uh, that should happen and that can happen. Uh, so we want to create a model for that. But I think that, you know, the reality of this is, you know, we're starting a, we started a project and we're retweeting now and it's called We Are Appalachia. And the thing is, is that I just think that Appalachia is far more diverse than people know. Um, people ask me often, you know, how do you how do you live there? And the reality, I keep telling, like I said earlier, you might not want me to marry a son or a daughter, but here's what I know. And here's what I want everybody in the world to know about Appalachia. You're not going to let me go hungry if I'm hungry. You're not going to let me go unclothed if I, I don't have nothing to wear. You're not going to let me go without a place to lay my head no matter what. If I need Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, you're going to pull me up a chair. And none, nothing else matters. And that's the core of the who the people are in this region. And if we don't come back and support and protect and get these people what we know is out there, then that's on us. A. Tony Young, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation and uh, I, I am very excited for folks to hear it. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for the opportunity. He puts his hands on my leg, my leg. And I remember 
right, that was our interview with A. Tony Young. Check them out, the Community Education Group. we got a link in the show notes. Moving on to Under the Radar, it's not really Under the Radar anymore. It's it's hit national news. There's been a fantastic local reporting on it. The WVU budget crisis. We've mentioned it several times on the show. We're going to talk about it again because it's still so damn important. And in fact, just this week, students have led walkouts in protest of the massive programmatic cuts. As many of you know by now, West Virginia University, a pretty big deal in the state of West Virginia for many reasons, Facing a $45 million, roughly $45 million deficit, due to many reasons, as we have found, it's not all completely clear. There's obviously some financial mismanagement from the administration, uh, but as we also found out, there has also been state funding cutbacks, and this has put the university in a tough spot, and so the decision by the administration has been, at least at this point, to cut a bunch of programs and faculty, including the entire world languages department, and I believe the master's programs for mathematics, I want to say. Um, I don't have it all in front of me, but like you, you all can look it up. I, I'm not going to go into all the detail of what they're cutting. The world languages thing is really just annoys the hell out of me because it's a really important program. It, it, that program alone has 32 faculty positions. Um, it also would eliminate the College of Creative Arts, uh, graduate programs in higher education administration and special education. Gee, uh, I guess we don't need special education teachers. Uh, that, that's the message that sends. Or people that can speak foreign languages in the state of West Virginia. Um, but I, I wanted to point don't out Don't need them, don't want them. Nope, don't need them. Uh, not at all. And I want to point out a couple things in this article before we get into the discussion. First of all is the just complete stupidity from... State Senators Mike Oliveria and Mike Caputo, one is a, a Democrat moonlighting as, or a, really, Mike Oliveria is a Republican moonlighting as a Democrat. He has been for many years. Um, and then Mike Caputo, who said that they acknowledge that the process is difficult, uh, but they're not proposing additional state funding to ease the pain. They said, quote, we must remember that the university's decision-making process is not merely a numbers game for profitability. This situation impacts real people and their families. It affects the very fibers of our community. Oh, okay, that sounds great. What else did they say? We know some of the decisions the university administration is making are not popular and have real costs associated with them. However, we also understand that the university needs to make some serious changes in order to remain the community stalwart it has been in the past. Let me tell you something. Uh, you're not going to remain a community stalwart by cutting your world languages department. Uh, and and yeah. I just I wanted to just point out the fact that the legislature is partially to blame for this because... Uh, and this is a, an analysis that was put forth by the West Virginia Center for Budget and Policy, a great organization. If West Virginia lawmakers had kept higher education funding at the same levels as a decade ago, WVU would have an estimated $37.6 million additional in state funding for the coming fiscal year, closing the majority of this year's budget gap. That's if they kept state funding to where it was a decade ago. That is, that is so depressing. I, I watched a video yesterday by uh, the ACLU of West Virginia because they're there on the ground. Um, 
because students are so angry that they're staging walkouts. And so uh, one of the first days of the walkouts was yesterday and um, it was so yeah heart wrenching. I mean, there were, they, they interviewed a mathematics master's student who was like, it's not like I just came here because I wanted to come to WVU. Like I came here because of the master's program in mathematics. Like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And it was just Absolutely. awful. I mean, these kids, their college experience is being threatened um, all over campus. And then the, the kids whose majors are impacted, their lives <laughs> are being like messed with. And that's, that's something that's, that goes so far beyond the yeah. pale. And for them to say, like, we understand that the university needs to make severe changes. Well, like, Okay, doing that now is like a last ditch effort and you should not get points for that. Um, you should have seen that this was an issue and done something about it years ago so that you weren't in this position. So this is no longer an excuse. You can't say we've got to really lace up our boots and do the hard work. Well, buddy, you should have done that five years ago. Yeah, the, E. Gordon Gee has been there since, like, what, 2013? Uh, yeah, he's had plenty of time to figure shit out. The The problem, I mean, there's there's a huge problem with bloated administrative salaries, too. Uh, I wanted to point out that I think, according to this article by our friend Amelia Nisley for West Virginia Watch, a great watchdog outlet, fantastic reporter, uh, there's cutting 32 majors or considering cutting 32 majors. I don't think they have officially made the decision yet, but that's on the chopping block. And she profiled this one woman who, uh, 19 years old from Maryland, um, who chose to attend WVU based on scholarship offers and the world languages courses, but the university is planning to discontinue both of her majors. So she's 19 years old and is going to be at a school. And if she's 19, presumably she is already past like her first year, maybe into her second year. Yeah. Uh, both of her majors just gone. So what is what is this person supposed to do? You know? Yeah. I, I just. There's no good answer to that. It's, it's there awful. There has to be other solutions. And there are other solutions to this. You can close that budget cap easily by allocating some additional state funding to it. Obviously, you have to change yeah. things about the way the university is run going forward in order to avoid this in the in the future. But it doesn't have to be cutting huge instrumental programs and staff. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it, and 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 it's sad beyond you know beyond Morgantown. This impacts the whole state. Yep, absolutely, the um, whole region. Yes, it really does, and and beyond just the school and academics. This feeds into stereotypes about the region. Yep. And I think that we're not not really talking about that enough in, in the national discourse. Um, West Virginia is getting a really bad rap. Like this isn't just like flying completely under the radar, even though this is a segment called under the radar. Nah. <laughs> um, I, I I think that it's it's absolutely playing into the worst of what people think about the region and 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 there are capacity to quote unquote manage ourselves you know i think there's a lot of people who are like well this is why there needs to be oversight and paternalism yeah it's really sad and i don't know i mean uh we obviously support all the students who are who are um protesting this and who are 
outraged, justifiably so, for this. Stand with them. When I, one thing I want to point out, though, is like, let's not try to eat our own here, folks. There's been a lot of um, uh, voices, I think, mostly in the minority, but loud voices on the internet that are just ripping people apart who are gently pushing back at some of the proposed fixes to this. And we can't forget who the people are, who the actual people are that are responsible for this, and there's several. And, and those are the people that should be getting the ire, where your ire should be directed. There, there can be constructive criticism about how to fix this problem. Like, there, there's been... A, a chief criticism is the administrative salaries, and they are extremely bloated, and I think heads should definitely be rolling, for sure, at starting with the university president, which is ridiculous that they extended his contract. But I think that there's more to this conversation than just overpaid administrators at the school. There's there's absolutely a lot more to it than that. And the fact that more fingers aren't being pointed towards the state legislature to me is is a is is bad. Like I, there's it's so a win people, for them. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people that are like, well, the the legislature's not going to do anything. This is their plan the whole time. And and I get that. I do. And honestly. That is probably the case, but they're depending on people not raising an issue, not protesting this, not calling their offices, demanding that they do something to fix this. That's what these politicians depend on because they know people get tired of it. And honestly, it's it's the public's obligation to make their lives a living hell when they're not doing the work for the yeah. people. I it's really I don't know. I just don't want to give them a pass and 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 I'm sorry I didn't mean her I I just don't want to give the Republican legislature a pass and I think it's just ridiculous that there are leftists that are online tearing apart other people who align with them on 98% of what they think just because they won't fall directly in line with them. Yeah. I think it's just stupid and counterproductive. It is it's really stupid and I think you're you're 100% right that we should be um you know, creative in our problem solving. And basically what these folks are doing is cutting their nose off to spite their face. Um, let's not do it. But yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a terrible situation. Um, and yeah, like, like Chuck said, we are a hundred percent with these students who are out there. Maybe we could even drive up there at some point and, uh, and do a little bit of filming. Hell yeah. Um, that would be really fun. Well, I'm going to be in West Virginia next week. So I'm down to do something if you are. Well, let's we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Maybe we'll get up there next week. Anyway, thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. We'll talk to you next week. And uh, we're going to kick it over to Hello June to take it away. I'm tired of jail, but nothing's forever. I should have said Hands all 